All right. Hey, everyone. Good morning again. Welcome to The Exchange. My name is Josiah. I'm so glad you guys are here with us. Uh, if you're new, please stop by afterwards. I'd love to say what's up and just meet you. Uh, but we are in the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. So if you would, please turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. If you need a Bible, uh, raise your hand. We would love to get you one so you could follow along with us. But Mark chapter 12 is where we'll be at today. If you were with us uh, last week, you might remember my shaving incident I told you. Um, it looks like it's starting to come back a little bit, so hopefully I'll begin to look like a man again. Uh, some of you are thinking you never look like one, I know, but hopefully <laughs> this will help a little bit more. Um, hey, again, welcome. So glad you guys are here. Uh, we are going through the Gospel of Mark. Uh, we're taking these, this year just to focus on the life and ministry of Jesus, who he is, what he did, what he said, what he claimed. Uh, really quick, as you're turning there, let me just share one thing with you. Today is our church's second baptism ever. So we're having a baptism today after service, and I'm so excited for this. Um, so here's what we, we're doing. When service is over, uh, we are going to make our way. We're going to try to start tearing down a little bit earlier than normal, but we're going to make our way towards Deerfield Beach. We are meeting just north of the pier at 1.30. So everyone's invited to come. We would love to like celebrate. I think there's at least five people who registered to sign up, and it's so cool just talking to them this week and hearing the story a little bit more. And um, so... I'm looking so forward to this. If you'd like to just come and clap or when people are like, why are these people being dunked in water? Maybe you can be like, here's why they're being dunked in water. Maybe you can help like answer questions. Um, but looking so forward to this. Our second baptism, it was so sweet, our first time. And so um, looking super forward to this. So I've said this before, but I just want to make it clear. Um, we have communion and that's where we remember Jesus. But baptism is where we identify with Jesus. And, and I, I love baptism because we get to identify with Christ in his death and his burial and his resurrection. And so for many people, this is like a time they've already believed in Jesus, they've already received Jesus, they've already received the gospel of grace, but this is a time where they now say, I want to identify with Jesus. So looking so forward to this, that is going to be right after service. Uh, Mark chapter 12, in case you are new, I'll just catch up to speed. We've been going through this book now since January, and we're finishing up chapter 12 today, but here's, here's where we're at now. As of a couple weeks ago in Mark 11, we just entered into the last week of Jesus' life. Mark spends about a third of the book, a third of the Gospel of Mark, is dedicated to the last week of Jesus' life. And so we're actually, this is called the Passion. Uh, this is based like the week of Jesus' life leading up to his death and resurrection. Uh, this is kind of what we call maybe his suffering period, uh, like this Passion Week. And so we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but I want to, just, just so you kind of know the context of today, uh, we saw two weeks ago Jesus come into Jerusalem on a donkey, People waving palm branches, saying, Hosanna, save now, you're the Messiah. And they're, they're saying, Jesus, we believe you're the Messiah. We believe you're the one sent from God. That's Sunday. On Monday, Jesus goes into the temple, and what does he do? He overturns tables. And he's like, you've made this a den of thieves, but this should be a house of prayer, right? That was Monday. We're looking at Tuesday. And it's been a long day, all right? So on Tuesday of this week, we see person after person, we see the Herodians, those who followed Herod, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, coming to Jesus with tough question after tough question, and let me just say this, Jesus is not afraid of our questions. And I'm so thankful for that. They, they deal, they want to go, what's your authority? Tell us your political view. Tell us your spiritual views of, of the resurrection. And Jesus is answering question after question after question. And I do think this is comforting for us to know that we can bring our questions to Jesus and it's not going to intimidate him. It's not like I can't answer this. This is above me. I, I've never heard this question. Wow, you've tricked me. Jesus can handle our questions. And he, he, I think he's incredibly truthful and gracious in his response but we saw spirituality, authority. Uh, we saw just the idea of, of, again, politics. 
and now specifically there's a question of morality. So it's almost like they covered the full spectrum. We want to know spirituality, we want to know politics, and now we're going to be looking at the issue of morality. And here's a scribe who comes to Jesus in our text, but here's the difference. I think this scribe is coming to Jesus a little bit more sincere. We're going to see that he saw Jesus answer the previous questions well, and now he has a sincere question for Jesus. And Jesus' response, I believe, just changes how we view the Old Testament, how we as believers today under the new covenant of grace, how we live out our faith, how we express our faith, how we walk out our faith. And so to me, the text today is almost like just it's Christianity for dummies. It summarizes the Bible, I think, the best way. And so I, I'm, I need that. I, need, I love those books right up. So I need that. Um, so we're going to be looking at this. And the main thought today as we just study uh, and as Jesus asks them a question, here's what we're going to see, big picture. Big picture is this. We're going to look at and talk about how not to be religious. How not to be religious. I think Jesus is showing us that we can follow him and it's not about keeping a list of rules or commands. And, and I grew up with this mindset. Maybe you did too. But Jesus shows us, here's how, you, here's how you not be religious. Here's actually how you have a meaningful, love-filled relationship with the God of the universe. So I love this text. And it almost seems, again, remember we've talked about this in Mark. Mark is like, Mark kind of puts together, pieces together stories. Like, where is he going with this? But I think he does this brilliantly, especially today. So we're going to look at how not to be religious. Let's read. It's Mark chapter 12. Uh, we're going to re- start in verse 28 and go to the end of the chapter. All right, Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Let's just read this as a whole. And then we'll pray and look at it more in depth. Mark 12, verse 28. Read with me. It says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, like, Jesus, you answered these questions well. He asked Jesus, Which is the first or the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first, the greatest of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it. It is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to Jesus, well said, teacher. <laughs> I love that he like, Jesus, good job. Yeah, like you have, okay. Uh, well said, teacher. You've spoken the truth for there is one God and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more, is more than the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that, he answered wisely and said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. Of course not. Like, I don't want to ask any more questions. I'm done. So Jesus now has a question. Then Jesus answered and said, while he taught them in the temple, here's Jesus' question. How is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, quoting from Psalm 110, he says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David calls him, him Lord. How is he then his son? And you're, maybe you're confused. Okay, we'll get to this. They're confused too. And the common people heard him gladly. Verse 38, then he said to them all in his teaching, beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes. And they love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation. Now Jesus sat at the opposite of the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. He's just watching people give their tithe. And many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrant. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow 
has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. For they all put out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Again, we're going to be talking about how not to be religious. And there's almost this contrast between a scribe who devours widows and a widow who's just giving generously. And we're going to look at what it means to not be religious and, wh- and what's the true way, what's the only way, how, how to live this life. So let's pray, and we'll just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you again that we can just slow down and read your word. And, and God, we really don't know sometimes what to pray for other than speak to us, please. We just want to hear from you, God. We want to be like you. God, I ask that you just remove even certain mindsets we once maybe had or, or we currently have about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to follow you. Maybe we just have maybe a certain perspective or a broken understanding of what that looks like. So God, just speak to us today. God, we thank you so much that this is not just a set of rules or commands. We thank you, God, that we can have a love-filled relationship with you. So we just ask that you'd move and speak in this place in your wonderful, in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. You know, I think, I think we as people, we love to ask mega questions, or what it, we'll just say, I'll just call it the greatest questions. We love to always kind of ask questions to say, what is the greatest? Who is the greatest? And we like to ask these kind of questions. So for example, maybe some big picture, we go, what was the greatest empire that ever existed? Like, was it the Romans? Was it, was it us, the British Empire? Like, what was the greatest empire? Who was the greatest leader of all time? If you had to write a paper, who's the greatest leader of all time? How do you define the greatest leader of all time? What is the greatest style of pizza? Is it deep dish, thin crust, New York style, Chicago? I don't know. But like, we like to ask, like, what are these, we like to ask these big questions, these great questions. And we do this with sports, we do this with movies. What is the greatest NFL team of all time? What is the greatest Marvel movie of all time? Who is the greatest Marvel character of all time, right? And like, there'll be some really hot and, and deb- heated debates in this room if I were to throw these out there. It's fun. Uh, here's my, the question of questions to me. Uh, who is the greatest basketball player of all time? Like LeBron or Michael Jordan? Obviously Michael Jordan. There's no doubt in that one, right? But here's the idea. We like to throw these questions out there, and and I think the idea is this. Um, A lot of times our answers to the great questions reveal what we care about, reveal what our hearts long for. It just gives us insight into who we are and what what we value as people. And here's this question. This question of the greatest is being asked to Jesus. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? There's a lot of them. What is the greatest one? And this was a question the scribes would talk about a lot. What is the greatest command? What is the greatest command? So the scribe, it seems as if he's going to Jesus genuinely. He's going, wow, you've answered well. We've had this question for a long time. What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus just answers in a moment. And he likes the answer, which I think is funny. He's like, hey, I, think I like that answer, Jesus. It's like, well, yeah, I'm Jesus. You're going to like all my answers. Like, like, you should. But the idea, so he's just sharing, here's the greatest commandment. And he, I want to bring this up, because let's be honest. Um, I think we as South Floridians, or we as Americans, we don't always love the law. We don't always love the commands of God. If you talk to people at a college campus, one of the main reasons why they're like, I'm not a Christian, I don't believe it, is because there's too many rules. There's too many laws, there's too many commands. I don't like your ethic on sex, I don't like your ethics on money, I don't like your ethics on sexuality, I don't like, I don't like any of it. Just too much. So if I were to come in here today and just talk about the law and the commands, all of them, that would probably be overbearing for some of you. Like, I don't like that, I don't want to hear that. But if I was just go, hey guys, today we're going to talk about love. And, and what is love? And let's talk about love. And God is love. Somebody's like, yeah. And like all those cheesy songs and one-liners, you're like, yes, I like this. I like the topic of love. Like, we love love. Let's be honest. We love to talk about love. Why? Why do we love love so much? I think personally, because love is very subjective many times. We like to define love how we want to define love. 
So I can define love the way I want to define it. Don't challenge my definition of love. This is the definition of love. And we love love because we like to make it very subjective. And here's what Jesus does. He actually makes love a little bit more objective. He's saying, here's how you can define love, the law. And here's how you can define the law, love. And please hear this. Please don't miss this. This is like the big, this is the big picture of this teaching, you could say. The religious people don't like the law being called love because they want to keep the law and feel good about themselves. Non-religious people don't like love being called law because they don't want to be held to commands. Do you kind of see this, this contrast? I want you to really think through this. Religious people are like, the law is love? No, no, I want to feel good about myself that I've kept certain things. Non-religious people don't call love the law. I don't want to be held to your, your standards or definition. And Jesus goes, no, the law is love and love is the law. <laughs> and this is how Jesus like, unpacks, he's talking about the greatest commandments. He's saying it all speaks of love, and love is defined by the law. And so let's look at this. Let's talk about this, because maybe our definition of love is off. I would say for, for me, for many of us, maybe growing up, or currently, even how we view love, it's a little bit off. So how do we define the love? And it's, it's funny, because I think so often people act like, oh, the Old Testament and New Testament, they're just so different. It seems like a different God. And you see the heart of God in the Old Testament is love. And the same God in the New Testament, his heart is still love. And it has not changed. And even though people like to say, no, it's changed so much, it hasn't changed. And so let's, let's look at this. Let's read this. So here's, again, how we're going to break down the text today. How not to be religious. How not to just kind of go through the motions or check off a box. How not to be religious. And there's four thoughts as we're going to look at these four different kind of sections of Scripture. So here's the first one. Um, devotion to God completely. How not to be religious. Have devotion to God completely. Define the Messiah correctly. Don't be a taker only and develop the, give, the giver internally. When we like walk through this text, we see Jesus talking about don't be like the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all these guys, these questions, they don't get the law. They don't get the purpose of it. So here's how you're not going to be religious. And we need to have devotion to God fully. And we need to define the, the Messiah correctly. And don't be a taker, but be a giver. So let's read this uh, again. We'll look at verse 28. Just we'll look at the first point today. Devotion to God completely. Let's look at verse 28. It says, then one of the scribes came Let's read this again. One of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked Jesus, what is the first or the greatest commandment? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like it. It's this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to Jesus, well said, teacher, you've spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he, and to love him with all of our heart, with all our understanding, with all our soul, and with all our strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all, than all the whole burnt offering and the sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God, but after that no one dared question him. Let's just like look at this conversation going back and forth. Jesus What's the greatest commandment? And I love how it says Jesus answers, and he's like, good answer, Jesus. And you're right. It's more important than all the sacrifices and burnt offerings. Jesus is like, good answer. I love how there's like, compliment, like you did good. No, you did good. Like going back and forth, there's like this, this flattery kind of going on. But here's what we see. What is the greatest commandment? And Jesus responds, and I love that Jesus answers these questions. He doesn't avoid them. He doesn't try to like beat around the bush. He goes, here's the greatest commandment. And Jesus quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. And this would have been very well known to the scribe. Very well known. Scribes were like lawyers. Scribes knew the law. They interpreted the law. They rewrote the law in many different ways over and over again. They, they knew the law. They, they knew this. And he quotes from Deuteronomy 6. And he's quoting from something we call, and what they call still, the Shema. Maybe you've heard of the Shema. Can you say the word that Shema? It's really fun. Say Shema. 
Shema, Shema, Shalom. Uh, it's fun to say. So this idea of the Shema was almost like the Lord's Prayer to them. It's almost like, our, like the Lord's Prayer of the Apostles' Creed. Pe- people knew this. They would say this. This was something that was always like on the tip of their tongue. They would say this every evening and every morning. They would say Deuteronomy 6. Like they knew the Shema. They would, this is something Jesus goes, oh, it's the Shema. It's like, oh yeah, that's right, because we, we always talk about the Shema. Shema. So here's the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, chapter, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6, listen to verse 6. It's the same thing Jesus, we just read, but it says in Deuteronomy 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And these words, listen, these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Parents, listen to this. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall bind them as a sign on your head, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. I mean, this is the Shema. This is like, the sh- this is like John 3.16. Like, you don't know the Shema? Like, everyone knew the Shema. She's like, this is the greatest commandment. And, we, and we're going to recite this morning and evening. And I, when we went to Israel, it's really fun. We, you, maybe you've seen this. If you have Jewish friends, you've been in their house, maybe you've seen the mezuzah. We're going to have the, z- the camera zoom in. I'm just going to have that. Um, we have a mezuzah. <laughs> I know it's really tiny. It's hard to show. But a mezuzah is going to be on, like, the doorposts, right? So it's literally as you walk into a house, you're going to see one of these little cylinder boxes. And in a mezuzah, say mezuzah, all these fun Jewish words. I just like saying them. Uh, there's going to be this little parchment. So this will be rolled up. And again, you really need, you can, like, get binoculars out and see this. <laughs> this is a little parchment, and it has Deuteronomy 6, verse 6 through 9 written on it. It has the Shema. And why is it called Shema? Shema just means listen, hear. Deuteronomy 6.6 6 is what? Hear, right? Hear, O Israel. So Shema, Israel. Shema, listen, obey, hear. That's what it's saying. Hear, listen, obey. And then this we put in, put, <laughs> put in, uh, in the doorposts or in this little mezuzah and be, you know, set on the door. And so something they'd also put in something called phylacteries. Maybe you've heard of phylactery, you've seen a phylactery. We'll have a picture up here just so you can kind of see of a Jewish soldier uh, having a phylactery on his head. They literally have these little black boxes, and it has this parchment with Deuteronomy 6 written in it. That's going to be in that little box. It's going to be written, uh, you're going to see this, the cord around his arm, and you're going to see a little box there, and it's going to be written on their arms or hands. And the idea is, I want to love the Lord my God with all my mind. <laughs> and I wanna, my mind's going to love him. It's going to be constantly on my mind. This is always going to be on my mind. It's very literal to them. This is always going to be on my mind to love God. And with my hands, I want to love God. I want to love the Lord my God with everything, with all my strength, my hands. And there's this way of just saying, God, I'm going to love you with everything I got. It's on my head. It's on my hands. It's kind of north of my, between my eyes, but it's there, right? And it's funny. Jesus kind of actually mocks this. Jesus does use humor, and you, we have to see that in the Bible. Jesus is talking to Pharisees one day, and he says, you make your phylacteries broad. Like, basically, this little box, like, the bigger the box, the more you love God. It's like, my box is bigger than your box. You only love God that much? What a little box you got. Like, and that was a really, that was a thing. They would make their phylacteries bigger to show I really love God. And this was just now, for them, is just a thing. They knew the Shema. People, knew, we know John 3.16. We, we know our Shema. We know what this, but it's just something they heard. It wasn't something they necessarily believed or surrendered to. And Jesus was like, let's talk about this. One of the greatest commandments is the Shema. This is something that you see everywhere you go. You see on the doorposts, you see on your hands, you see on the gates, you see on your forehead. You, you see this everywhere. You know the greatest commandment, but you don't know the greatest commandment. And I think this is where we get in danger, honestly. We might know the word, we might hear the word, we might have it on our head, hand, heart, even. We might even memorize the word, but we might not know it. And, and I, want you to, I want to point this out. Please listen to this. Before, and I love this thought, before Jesus says, let me answer the, the greatest commandment of all. Do you know how the Shema starts? Hero Israel, the Lord of God, the Lord of God is one. Before 
the commandments of God, you know what they're doing? He's proclaiming God. Before we get to the commands of God, do this, don't do this, love, don't, before we get to the commands, it's, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. It's proclaiming who God is. Our God is one. He's exclusive. There's one God. We do not worship, not all religions worship the same God. There's one true God. He is one. And this is so important for us that before we get to the commands, listen, before the law comes worship. Please hear that. Before we hit, get the Shema and the greatest of, of all commands, there's this proclamation of God and it's a proclamation of worship. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord our God is one. And how we need to hear this today. Because I think so often you can come to church and you hear a bunch of rules, do this, don't do this, and what we're forgetting behind the heart of this is just know God. Know God. Hey, Israel, hear, hear Israel, the Lord our God, he's one. Worship him. Understand him. Know him. Like before we even get to the commands, it's a proclamation of God. And I really think this needs to be something that we kind of understand as just today, 2018, following Jesus. Before we see the Bible as, man, there's a, there's a lot in this book. How do I do this? Understand who God is first. Understand who he is before he says what to do. This is so important. I remember around like 19 years old, I read this book called The Attributes of God by A.W. Tozer, and it was life-changing for me because I'm reading through the attributes of God, and you're going, wow, God is, God is not, so here's the thing. If I say God is love, we're, we're, we like that. We get that. Of course, God is love. If I say God loves you, you're like, of course he loves me. Have you seen me? <laughs> like, yes, God loves me. Like, we're pretty good with that, with that one. That's a good attribute. We're like, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty great. Of course God loves me. But there's the attributes of God where it says, hey, God is completely, God is holy, holy, holy. God is, God is just. God is merciful. God is truth. God is a God of wrath. These are certain attributes of God that we, we like to focus on certain attributes, not others. Some of you love the justice and wrath of God. Like, yeah. Some of you are like, they're weird. I love the mercy and the love of God. And it's funny how you'll see people emphasize different things many times. But we, I love there's this proclamation, God is one. God is one. Get to know him. Get to know his love. Get to know his mercy. Get to know his holiness. Get to know his justice. He's one. Don't just highlight the things you like and disagree or, and ignore the things you don't like. He's like, he's one. He's completely one. And before, again, please hear this. Before there's commands of, guys, you need to do this. It's hero Israel, the Lord of God. Get to know God. He's one. And I think this is, again, so critical. So critical to our faith. Because if you're coming here or to any place and hearing the scriptures over and over again and all you hear is commands but you don't know God, you're going to miss the heart of God. If all you're getting is the commands, you're not going to understand why there's those commands. Get to know him. What is he like? What, what is he, how does he describe himself? How does he define himself? And can I point this out? This is so cool to me. But when you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, when you read the Torah, when you read the first five books of the Bible, before there's the law, guys, please hear this. Before there's the law, what is there? There's redemption out of slavery. Before God's like, do this, don't do this. Before there's Mount Sinai and the commandments. Before there's the law, there's God saying, you're in slavery and I'm going to rescue you and I'm going to redeem you and I'm going to send a sacrifice, an animal, and you're going to apply the blood to your lives. And if you apply the blood, you shall live. And then here comes the commands. But the commands come after salvation. The commands come after, come after the fact that God is a God who redeems. Amen? Do we hear that? The commands don't come before. God's like, I rescued and I redeemed. Now live how I tell you to live because I, I have what's best in mind for you. The commands don't come before. Do we get that? I don't think we always get that. I used to think the commands come, then salvation comes. I used to think if I do the law, then I'll be redeemed. Then God will rescue me out of my slavery. No, he rescues, he redeems, and then comes the law. Can we say amen? That is such good news. And I'm so thankful for this. And so he says, hero Israel, it's a proclamation of God. Our God is one. And then he describes it. He goes, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. Love with everything. 
Love them with your consciousness. Love them with your will. Love them with the, your emotion as well. Emotions are not, love them with everything you have. Like love him. Know him. And then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. And here's what I want to just read a quick little simple uh, quote to you guys. Um, there's a guy named Sinclair Ferguson. He says, God, listen, God is never satisfied with anything less than the devotion of our whole life for the whole duration of our lives. He's not satisfied with anything. He wants your whole life for the whole duration of your life. Love the Lord your God with everything. With everything, love him. With everything, love him. Heart, soul, mind, strength, everything you got, love him. And he goes, not, God's not going to be satisfied with just partial love or just maybe you're trying to do good things because you want to feel good. He's like, I'm not satisfied with that. Again, wonder how not to be religious. To be religious, have devotion to God completely. That's what he's saying. And then Jesus says, and the second commandment is, is just as equal. He goes, love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't say love yourself. Let's just clarify that because we already do that. He's saying, as you already love yourself, love others that way. L- love, love your neighbor as you already love yourself. <laughs> We were really good at pampering ourselves and treat yourself and loving ourselves. Like, hey, love other people that way, right? Love other people in that same mindset. Love God, and he goes, and love others. And he's quoting from Leviticus 19, 18, I believe, at that point. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two, he says later in a different gospel, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. Now, let's just briefly, I guess, dissect this or or hear this, because I want to explain something. This is not some trivial thing. Now, to ascribe a Pharisee, people who knew the word of God, when they say, what's the greatest commandment of all the commandments? Some of you know this, but in their mind, there are 613 commandments. 365 negative commandments? Don't do. 248 positive commandments? Do. So there's 613 commandments. Don't do this. Don't do this. 365, one for every day. Hey, don't do that. Today's a new day. Don't do that. There's 365, 248 positive. Do this. Do this. Do this. And could you imagine how overwhelming that would be? Imagine, hey, what's, you forgot 493, how dare you forget? That's an important commandment. Like, they'd be like, ah, it'd be so overwhelming. And Jesus goes, no, no, let me summarize the law. The law is defined best in this way, love God and love others. And Jesus makes it simple, and he says, let me break it down to two. Paul, carrying the same thing, goes, Jesus gave us two commandments, let me give you one word, but then it's a phrase. It's Galatians chapter 5, verse 14. Paul writes this, listen to this. For all the law is fulfilled, wow, in one word. Even in this, and that's a phrase, but we get it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws fulfilled in one word, love. Loving your neighbor as yourself, love. Jesus is like, here's two commandments. Paul's like, yeah, it's one word. It's one theme. It's one concept of love. He's like, you want to know how your life has been radically changed by God? Love. You know, I don't know if you've ever wrestled with this question. Have you ever thought, like, God, how do I know you sa- How do I know I'm saved? How do I know you saved me? How do I know you rescued me? How do I know you've redeemed me? That you, you bought me out of my sin? And it's like, how do I know, God? How is there proof or evidence? And there is proof and there is evidence that God has saved you or redeemed you or now put his spirit within you. Paul says in Galatians 5.14, we just read that, but he writes later in just a few verses in Galatians 5.22, what does he say? He says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. And what does he say again? And against such, there is no law. Why? Because that is the law. If you're loving, you're fulfilling the law. The law is summarized in one word, love. The law is defined by love. Love is defined by the law. And he says, this is, and I kind of point this verse out because this is so beautiful to me. What does he say if we'd still up there? He says, the fruit, the fruit of the spirit is love. Notice, it does not say the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace. Here's what he's saying. Do you want to know, when we say fruit, the evidence of the Spirit of God being in you, in you is going to be love. 
Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faith, all of those are descriptive words describing love. You want to know what love looks like? You're going to be gentle. You want to know what love looks like? You're going to be kind. You're going to be faithful. See, the fruit, singular, of the spirits is love. Joy, peace, pa- and, and this is the idea. is like, it's love. It's love. It's summarizing one word, love. Love. And this is so good because for us, again, 2018, love is just such a slippery word. If I'm like, do you love God? You're like, yeah, I love God. Like, how do you know? Like, <clears throat> just love him. You're like, yeah, but like, how do you know you love God? It's like, well, you know, it's that, it's that feeling you get. You're like, uh, well, okay, but how do you know you love him? And, and we, like, love is almost evasive for us, and it's slippery, and we have this definition of love, of joy, peace, patience. We have the definition of love, the law. And that is something, again, that kind of offends some of us. We, we like to define love in our own terms. You know, a guy named C.S. Lewis, who I've maybe quoted a couple times, uh, has said this, and I thought it was so good about love. He says, listen, love in the Christian sense does not mean an emotion. It is a state, not of feelings, but of the will, the state of the will which we have naturally about ourselves and must learn to have about other people. He's describing love as an, as an act of the will. Now, let me kind of point this out, because some of you might hear that and go, so love is doing. Do, do, do. If I just do, and if I'm just constantly doing good things, then I'm loving. And it's like, yes and no. It's not, ju- it's not just that. 1 Corinthians 13 talks a lot about love. And though I have the tongues of men and angels, though I have enough faith that I can move mountains, though I give my money to the poor, though I give my body to be burned, though I do all, though I do, 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 though I do all these things but have not love, I am nothing. So you still can do things and not have love. So what is love? So good. I don't know. It's a slippery, evasive thing because it is an act of the will. It is an act of emotion. It is. It is. You love God with all your heart, your soul. There, it's, it's everything. It's all-encompassing. And again, please hear this because I want us to not just kind of, this might sound weird um, in, uh, today in 2018. You're like, Josiah, but we're under the new covenant and you're saying the lo- that the law is love and love is the law? Yes. So you're saying the law is still good? Yeah. The law helps define love. What do, you, do, uh, what do you mean? So let's just think through this. The Ten Commandments. Let's just talk through this really quick. Um, Thou shalt not murder. All right. It's not just saying don't murder. Let me point this out. The law is to point to something greater, saying, hey, the, the law of don't murder, in reality, it's pointing, to the, it's pointing to the idea of love. I can't be mad at someone and be like, yo, yo, I know we disagree, but here's what I've done that's really good. I, at least I didn't murder you, okay? Like, I could have I murdered you, but I showed you love because I didn't murder you. Like, be happy with me, right? Like, no, like, the law is pointing to something greater. So do not commit adultery. Do not commit adultery. And we hear that and go, okay, I'll keep that law. But it's pointing to something great. It's saying, love your wife. Love, love your spouse. Love your husband. Have a little deep uh, a sense of sa- love that, it's not like, hey, honey, at least I haven't committed adultery. Like, you know, like you should, you're lucky. And there's a side of this where we hear this, we laugh, but the law is pointing to something greater, and that is love. See, how do you not steal? How do I not steal from you? I don't want to, like, how do I not go, I'm so tempted to steal from you, I'm not. But, like, what if there's, like, that side of, like, how do I not steal? Do do you love them? If you love them, you're probably not going to steal from them. Like, how do I not murder you? Uh, Probably if you love them, you won't murder them. Right? Like, how do I not bear fault? How do I not lie? Just love them, so you don't want to, you know, hurt them. It's like, the love! He's saying it's love. One more example is, you know, to, to not have any other gods before him. And that's not, just, that's not just don't have any idols. Idols don't have those little carved things. No, it's not that. It's pointing to what Jesus is speaking of. It's pointing to loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Not like, oh, well, God, I, I love you because I don't have idols. I love you because, look it, you don't see the little idols in my house. No, it is pointing to something so much greater. The law is defined by love, and love is defined by the law. 
And this is so hard for us. For those of you who are religious people and you like the law and you like keeping things, we got to understand it's really love. And you might be keeping those things but have not love. For non-religious people who, who like love but they don't like the definition of love, we got to define it. We've got to talk through what love looks like. God's commands are not bad. He's helping us define love. He's not saying don't murder. Like, it's, it should be an obvious because like, it's not always so obvious. Let me, let me give you this to help you define this a little bit. You see, here's what I want to point out. The fruit of the Spirit is, okay, that's right. The fruit of the Spirit is, right? The summary of the law, according to Jesus, is love, right? The commandment from Jesus to Christians is a new commandment I give you to love one another. So it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's the summary of the law. It's commanded by Jesus. So what do you think we should probably do? Oh, right? So here's, here's why this is so important. And let me be really honest right now. Um, this 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 specifically, the Shema, that this thought of like spending time on going, love my God with all my heart, soul, this is the greatest. This really was life-changing for me, and here's why. For me, growing up around the church and in the church and around going to chapels and hearing thousands of messages and thousands upon thousands, honestly, I got so overwhelmed. I got so frustrated as a young believer. I got so overwhelmed by this idea of following Jesus. I didn't, I'm like, I can't do this. I can't do this. I don't know if you ever got to the place where you go, this is really hard. Don't do this. Do this. I feel like I'd go to church and be like, don't do this today and don't do that and make sure you do that. And being a Christian is by what you don't do. And you're like, ah! And it was, and it was so overwhelming for me. It was so frustrating for me. And I remember hearing the gospel of grace. And I remember hearing this idea that God is not looking for people, like just people to just simply obey him, but to have a love-filled relationship with him. And if you have a love-filled relationship, but you will obey him. But it, was com- it just completely changed my outlook. It was no longer, I am trying to do these things to make God love me. It's God loves me, so I just want to do these things. Honestly, for such a long time, it was, I have to read the Bible. I, someone said that one day, so okay, I better do it. Like, I have to go to church. I have to give. I have to do this. And it was literally so like, okay, I have to do this. And then one day when you understand, and when the gospel of, of love, honestly, when the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the, the, tr- the gospel hits you, you go, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. The God of the universe longs to know me. The God of the universe longs to have intimacy with me. He loves me despite all the stupid and selfish things I've done. He's going to pursue me despite all those things. And when that begins to click, and I don't know other than the Holy Spirit taking this truth and sinking it into your heart, you go, oh my gosh, he loves me regardless. I don't want to abuse that love. I don't want to step all over that love. My wife says to me, I love you no matter what. You're like, no matter what? Awesome. Like, I have a ton of affairs. Like, no. And that's what we do with God. God's like, I love you no matter what. You're like, awesome, thanks God. So let me just go do whatever I want now because I don't really care about it. It's mind-blowing. And when you, when you really hear the gospel of grace, you go, oh my gosh, God, I don't have to read my Bible. I can't wait to. I don't have to go to church. I can't wait to be in community. There's something that changed, and honestly, I, I couldn't force that. I think for so long I was trying to force that. Well, maybe if I just go enough or give enough or do enough, then my heart will just be there. And sometimes we just need to sit in the love of Jesus and understand the love of Jesus and who he is and the sacrifice he paid. He left heaven. He left heaven. He did not consider it robber to be equal with God, who becoming the form of man. He lived life among us. Jesus, who knows what it's like to suffer, Jesus, who knows what it's like to bleed, who knows what it's like to have his best friend. I, gee, this God of the universe understands me and knows me. And, and you realize the sacrifice he made, and you go, oh my gosh, what a great love. What a great love is this? And there's something about that. You go, I just want to know you, God. Why would, God, why? Why me, God? Like, why us? Why? I don't get that. And there's something about that. You just go, okay, I'm gonna, I want to love you back the same way you love me. Why do we love God? Because he first loved us. <laughs> no one ever loved God first. No one's ever like, God, I love you. He's like, oh my gosh, I love you too. Like, it was, it was God's like pouring out his love, pouring out his love, pouring out his love, and you're like, oh my gosh, God, I can only respond with love at this point in time. I, I love you because you first loved me, and this was life-changing. 
Because Christianity can be, for many of us, it can be, you have to, don't do, do this, don't do this, and you're not hearing the heart of God, you're not hearing the heart of the law, which is love. Love God from this pure, intimate place. Love him completely, love him fully, not because you have to, but because you have his love. I have his love. You have his love. So love. Let it come from that place. And guys, again, I, no sermon can make this change in your life. No, nothing, like, not, you can't read a book when you go, ah, you're gonna have to, pr- I honestly, through prayer, maybe through fasting, maybe if you, you really doubt God's love, how could God love me? Do you know what I've gone through? Maybe you need to just meditate on the cross and the death and resurrection of Jesus and maybe you just need to go, God, show me your great love. Help me understand how deep and dark my sin really is. Help me understand how beautiful and marvelous your grace really is. Help me understand these two extremes, God, that I, I can be so di- dark and so wicked and you're still so good and still loving and pursuing. Help me understand. And I feel like through prayer, through, reader, through, through reading, through meditation on those things, you go, oh my gosh, God, what a great love you have towards me. I don't want to abuse this. Your wife or husband says to you on that day, on your wedding day, I love you for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer. You're like, I lo- not, okay, I cannot wait to take advantage of this love. I can't wait to walk all over this love. You know, it's so different. I come home and I want to hear about my wife's day and my son's day, maybe to an annoying point of like, tell me about your day. And he's like, stop it. But like, I, I do want to hear about that. I do like that. And, and no one's like, tell me, just saw you better ask. You better ask how their day was. It's like, no, I, I want to know. Because why? Because I love him. Like, I just want to know. Even Mike at, at school, I'm like, how's your day? He's like, I hit my friend. I'm like, okay. And that's usually every day. But this is, I want to hear that, and I want to know that, and I want to go, why? And he goes, I feel bad. Like, okay, that's a start. But like, we're trying to like walk through, and I love that. I can't wait to hear about that. And there's something about knowing, it's not forced, it's not mandated. Guys, it's not mandated or forced, this love. It, it is just something you, like, you just willingly have. You willingly, your heart just crumbles to you. Like, I, I just give you my love because you love me first. Want to know how not to be religious? Be fully devoted to God. <laughs> love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know what Jesus says to this? He says, on these two hang all the law and the prophets. It's in Matthew 22, 40. He says that right after that phrase. He goes, on these two things hang all the law and the prophets. Th- this idea, it means on these two things suspend all the law and the prophets. Hey, the law and the prophets are also all about love. Do you want to know where we love God, where the greatest example of love is to God? He goes, love God vertically, love others horizontally. And honestly, when you think about loving God vertically and loving others horizontally, you think of the cross. You think of Jesus' great love for God. You think of Jesus' great love for us. Jesus, who, Jesus even says, all the law of the prophets speak of me. On these two things hang all the law of the prophets. That was Jesus hanging there. That was Jesus displaying his great love for us. He is the, the one who fulfills the law and the prophets. He is the one that it's speaking of. He is love. He is the fulfillment of love. He's love made tangible. He's love made flesh. Jesus is that one. He goes, listen, let me show you what love looks like to God, and let me show you what love looks like to others, and that is through Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Amen? He goes, let me show you what this looks like. And then this man says, wow, you're right. This is more important than sacrifices. This is more important than just killing animals. He goes, yes, yes, Jesus is like, you're not far from the kingdom. And that phrase has kind of been like haunting me, like thinking about that phrase. What is, what is that? Like, it just ends. Then he just talks bad about scribes next. We'll see. Like, wh- why is it like, okay, now this here's what you gotta do. Here's the thing. He goes, you're not far. I think there's, there's just, uh, there's something about being so close, but still so far. You can know these things. You can know this verse. You can know the Shema, but still not know it. Knowing it does not mean you're believing it, surrendering to it. Knowing it does not mean you're growing in it. Again, you're not far from the kingdom, guys. It's not good enough. I don't want you to be like, you, I don't want like, one day this to be said about anyone. Oh, you're so close. You're so close. Like, no, that's not a compliment. To me, it's like, man, you're just so close, but you fell short. Like, oh, just this much more. Like, no, like, don't be close, be in. Amen? Don't be close to this. Be in. Then Jesus now does this. Can, I, can we just point, now bring it back? Because this is what's really cool. 
after all of this explanation of the law and love and what the Shema is, Jesus goes, I have a question for you guys. He's just been asked like four different questions. And then he goes, hey, my turn. And that, that things change, right? Like we have questions for God, but now he has a question. So let's read verse 20, 35. Then Jesus answered, verse 35, and said, while he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes say that the, the Christ is the son of David? For David himself said by the Holy Spirit, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, David calls him Lord. How is he then his son? And the common people heard him gladly. What is happening here? What is he saying? What is he doing? This is so important. Jesus goes, I have a question for you, and my question has to do with the identity of the Messiah. That's Jesus' question. All right, you've asked me all of your questions. Now let me ask you a question. Let me pull from Psalm 110, a messianic psalm, and let me ask you a question. So let me point this out. It was common knowledge, common thought that Jesus, or that the Messiah, the Christos, the Messiah, the Mashiach, it was common knowledge that he would come and save people, he'd rescue people, maybe he'd rescue from Rome. It was common knowledge that he'd help, he would redeem. That was common. That was like, it was understood that it was going to be a man. It would be a man who would come and redeem. That's common knowledge. John chapter 7, verse 42, a verse that kind of summarizes it, I think, the best. It says, Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem, where David was? So here's the idea. We know he's going to be a son of David. We know he's going to be a man. We know he's going to be a man that rescues. And Jesus goes, okay, you think he's just a man, but let me ask you a question. And I think this is a brilliant question. David writes in Psalm 110, The Lord... We would say Yahweh, Y-H-V-H. We don't have the vowels. We just know it's like Jehovah, Jehovah, Yahweh. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. What is he saying? What is happening there? David is king. Who's above the king? David says, the Lord said to my Lord. Who's his Lord? Who's his Lord? You're the king. You only have one Lord, and that is God. So who is your Lord? Who's above you? And how is he also your descendant? You call him Lord, but he's also the Messiah we know is going to be from the seed of David. So you're saying the Messiah is above you, but he's also going to be your descendant? You're saying he's going to be Lord? He's your Lord, but he's also your grandson? How does that work? And here's what Jesus, Jesus pointed out. Something they're going, uh, uh, like, they're going, well, we know the Messiah is going to be man. Jesus said, yes, you know he's going to be man, but he's so much more than that. Here's an idea we'll put up here this way. Uh, Jesus is David's son, therefore human. Jesus is David's Lord, therefore divine. That's what Jesus is getting at. The Lord said to my Lord, you're the king. Who's your Lord other than the Lord? The Lord. Right, I know it's a plan on where it's like hard. Like, what? Yahweh said to my Lord, who's your Lord other than Yahweh? The Messiah. He's a man. He's divine. He's also divine. Jesus is using the Old Testament to show how the Messiah would be divine. And I think that is so key. Don't forget Psalm 110. Because probably like the number one, you'll get objections to Christians about maybe like what Jews might ask us. And you going, well, why do you believe Jesus is God? Why do you believe he's God in the flesh? Uh, who's David's Lord? Who's David's Lord other than the Lord? How do you explain Psalm 110? Jesus is pointing this out. And here's why this is important. How do we not be religious? We need to define the Messiah correctly. Because here's the thing. I think there's two errors. Some people view Jesus only as human. Some people view Jesus only as God. We understand that Jesus is God made flesh. Here's the problem. If you only view Jesus as human, you understand the authority he really has as God. You understand the rightful position he has as, as creator of the universe. If you only see him as God, you don't see him as relatable. You don't see him as sympathetic. You don't see him as understanding. I need to know that God entered this world and took on flesh, that God can relate to me. When you say God can't relate, God walked where we walked. God went through similar pain and suffering and trials. I love Hebrews 4. It talks about he can sympathize with us in our weaknesses because he's attempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. So here's the idea. 
I think sometimes, whether religious people, non-religious people, you define the Messiah a certain way, and it's because you're not considering that he's both divine and both human. Jesus is fully God and fully man. He's not half God, half man. He's 100% God, 100% man. And that speaks so much to how we view him and how we carried our lives. Have a right understanding of Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. You don't view the Messiah correctly. He's not just David's descendants. He's also his Lord. He's also divine. Do you get it? Follow with me now? In case you're like, what's that text? So we got to find him correctly. Moving on, number three, we're going to see this. Don't be a taker only. Jesus is talking to the scribes, and now he's going to talk about the scribes. Look at verse 38. He said to them in his teaching, Beware of the scribes who desire to go around in long robes, love greetings in the marketplaces, the best seats in the synagogues, and the best places at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. These will have a greater condemnation. Now, let me just point this out because I think this is humorous. Where was Jesus teaching? We're told earlier in chapter 11 that Jesus was teaching in the temple. So the scribe approaches him. They're asking all these questions, remember, in the temple. Then Jesus, like, it's my turn. He asks a question. People are like, oh my gosh, we don't have to answer this. And he goes, hey, let me tell you something. Beware the scribes. They wear long robes. And I just picture a scribe walking through the temple be like, come on. You know, like, he's like points out, like, watch out. They're like, that's obviously us. He's like, beware of them. And you can see why the, 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 it's changing from this love of Jesus as the Messiah welcoming to now it's starting to change as we got to crucify him. Beware of scribes. And the way he describes them to me is like they're takers. They love to sit in the best seats. They devour widows' houses. Widow, they, she, someone loses her husband or, or spouse, and that was their income. That was a sense of security and safety, and they go in rather than help but steal and take away. He goes, they're takers. Religious people are takers. The scribes are takers. I think this is something we do need to hear because I need to be challenged this. Would you look at yourself or my, my life, your life, would you kind of say, yes, uh, generally speaking, I am a taker, or generally speaking, I'm a giver? Like Jesus describing the man, they love to be greeted, they love this attention, they, but he goes, describing as like, they're just takers. They devour. They just take and take. And honestly, I think the difference between a religious person and someone who's experienced the gospel is you go from being a taker to, to a giver. You, you go, oh my gosh, like God has given so much, I just can't wait to give. And, and I think the biggest change you'll see in someone when they say, I'm following Jesus and I've experienced the gospel of grace and this is overwhelming all that God has given me. I can't wait to give back to God. Again, religious people can give, but it's out of duty and not out of love. You can give, but it's like, okay, well, I, I just hit my bare minimum and I'm giving. And it's not a genuine place of, of giving. And it's so interesting that Jesus says they devour widows' houses and then here comes a widow. We're going to read in a second. And we're going to read about this widow who gives everything. And, and I, I just think that for us, guys, we have to ask ourselves, is that there's religious tendencies in our life, it's probably because we're maybe more of a taker and it's not wrong to say, I need help. It's not wrong to say, at this point in time, I need to take. That's not wrong. But like, the life seems to be generally de defined as like, this guy's, these, these guys are constantly taking versus someone who's constantly giving. And again, I really do believe that a true sign is someone who's experienced the gospel of grace. God has given you so much and given me so much. It's like, I can't wait to give. But it's out of genuineness and not out of obligation. So, and here's, lastly, by the way, do not see, and this, this, this was a warning for me. I had to read this text this week and go, God, please let this not be me. Because with uh, information, and with knowledge comes accountability. With revelation comes accountability. A guy named Daniel Aiken said this, and I'm going to call me out right now. And it was intense. He said this. He goes, one of the most dangerous vocations in life is being a theologian. And that could be you as well. That's, that's me studying the word, teaching the word. That's you. Everyone has a view of God, definition of God. That makes you a mini theologian. Like all of us have that. But then he says this, and this is where it gets all of us. Uh, he says, one of the most dangerous places you can go is to a Bible-believing church that faithfully proclaims the gospel. That is, guys, please hear this. This is a dangerous thing. You're like, ah, what do you mean? My desire is to go through the word of God and to know God through his word and to know him personally and to know him firsthand. And as we do this, we're going to hear a lot. 
and, and really with knowledge and with information comes a sense of accountability. To whom much is given, much is required. That has been one of the most humbling verses in my life. Like God has, God has blessed us with people to invest in us and pray over us and to help us and to much is given, much is required. And God has given you much. God has given you people who love you, family, jobs, opportunities, knowledge, gifts, talents, skills. Too much is given, much is required. And here we are desiring to preach through the word, go through the word, and listen, it's not like, oh, I like, my church is so good, so we go through the word of God. It's like, can I tell you, that's also a dangerous thing because you can be around it but never give into it. You can constantly the scribes, constantly know the word, recite the word, talk the word, interpret the word. They were scribes, they were law, lawyers of the word, and yet they completely still missed it. This can be a dangerous place. Too much is given, much is required. And, and so it has to change our hearts from being a taker, taker, taker to now let me be a giver. And now we're going to look at the widow. And so we're going to see number four, lastly, develop the giver internally. Look at verse 41. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury, and many who are rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrants. So, so he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Surely I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for, for they all put out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all things she had, her whole livelihood. There was an area called a court of women where the women would go and it was separated from the court of men and, and that was their place of worship and there's also the temple treasury not far from the court of women. The temple treasury had basically these 13 chauffeur boxes, like 13 tithe boxes. Think about doing that, putting like 13 all around the room. Like, like hey, did you see it? Oh, you didn't see it? Look at this one, there's 12 more to look at. Um, but they're trying to constantly like just make a giving a, a spectacle. So here's the idea. Literally back in Jesus' day, people would come in, wealthy would come in and they literally sound a trumpet and we showed, when we showed, remember there was one of those coins last week at Denarius? They'd have these big, heavy silver coins or these, just these coins. And they'd come into the temple and they'd sound their trumpet and be like, oh my gosh, they're going to give a lot of money to God. This is so cool. They're giving so much money to God. And they'd sound the trumpet and drop the coins into these boxes. And you'd hear, the, like, you'd imagine hearing these coins just hitting the box. It'd be like Vegas, like ding, 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 ding. Like all this like money just hitting the box. It's like, wow, so spiritual. And Jesus is just watching. Jesus is just watching people give. Verse 41 says he's just watching. I'm not going to do that. That's really creepy and really weird. I'm not, for me, I'm not, I, can't, I can't do that. But he's just watching people give. And then he's like, guys, guys, look at this little widow. Look at this poor widow. And she takes two, or it says mites, which literally equals for us today less than a penny. And you can go find one of these still. They're, still, like, they're like everywhere. And you can go get these. She takes two mites, and she gives, that's all she has, and she gives everything. And Jesus goes, guys, gather around. Teaching moment, teaching moment. Look at this poor widow. She gave everything. She gave her whole livelihood. I think the best way this verse has been interpreted the, the appropriately, it says she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, even her whole life. Literally, he used the word bios. She gave her whole life. She gave everything. Complete trust and surrender to God. She gave more than all those who gave out of this great abundance. Because not necessarily giving out of abundance. It's giving out of a place of like sacrifice. Like this might hurt a little, but God, I trust you more than the money. God, this might sting a little, but I trust you more than this. And Jesus is like, look, it's not, guys, and this is so, isn't this cool? It's not about how much you give. Jesus sees what we give, but he sees why we give. And so it's not about the numbers, it's not about the amount. He goes, oh my gosh, it, this was her whole life. This was sacrificial. Now she has to go, okay, what am I going to eat today? What am I going to get today? And she has to trust and rely on Jesus in a way that maybe others don't understand. And Jesus goes, hey, she gets it. She gets it. Look at, look again, you see a scribe who's taking you see a woman who's giving. And she, he's going, this person really gets the gospel. She gets it. He, they're not far. She gets it. We need to hear this, church. Because Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6. He goes, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Honestly, one of the, one of the most important things for me, for us, 
Jesus, I so value you. I so value your king. I, like, where are my treasures? My heart's going to be there. We want to see people get saved. Awesome. Where your treasures there, your heart will be. Like, there's something about that truth. There's something about saying, Jesus, I, I care about these things. I want to invest in these things. Like, can I tell you, God doesn't care about the outward appearance. God doesn't care, like, about the show. Like, there's nothing, you know, he says it this way in 1 Samuel 16. The Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God doesn't see what we see. You know, we, people can maybe put a show or, or give, and they do it because they have to, or they think they should. And he's like, I don't want that. I don't want that. I want you to just give in a way where you just trust me, where you rely on me. It's not about the mount. It's more about a sense of like, do you trust me in the process? Is your money your God? Am I your God? Are you going to look to me? Are you going to trust in me? Are you going to give to the place where it hurts? Give to the place so much that it actually hurts at this point in time. One author said it this way, the test of liberality is not what is given, but what is left. The test of true generosity is not what is given, but what is left. And she's like, I'm just going to give it all. And this woman's forever remembered, just like the woman who bought that expense, expensive fragrance and broke it on Jesus' feet. These two women are just forever remembered. Wherever the gospels preached, these women are remembered as those who just live such generous lives. And please just hear this, because this is not just a spiel for like money or giving. This is not that. Can I tell you, John 3.16 says what? For God so loved, he gave. He gave. Where there is love, there is giving. That's just the real, Where there's love, there's giving. God so loved, he gave. If you love someone, you just give. Like, parenthood has changed everything. We're like, you give and give and give, and you're like, okay, one day, maybe there'll be something. It might not be, never be anything. But you're just like, I so love you, I'll give everything. I'll give everything. I'll give everything. God's the love he gave. Why do we, why do we give to God? Because he's so loved. We give out of response to love. Because God has so loved us, how could we not give? For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he is rich, it became poor, so you through his poverty might become rich. God gave everything. He left everything so we could have that spiritual wealth, so we could have that just ultimate satisfying peace and satisfaction with God. And this is the difference, I believe, between someone who's religious and someone who's understood the gospel of grace. It's like a pure and genuine generosity. It's like, I can't wait to do this. I can't wait to be part of this. Not because I have to, but because God's gospel so changed my heart. Amen? Again, it's not religious. Please don't ever give. We don't want your money. God does not want your money. God wants your heart. God's not like, give me money. God's like, I just want you. I love you. I just want you. I want to show you my love and give my love. And I just want you out of return to give love back, to show love back, to love me back with all of your heart. Because I, I first loved you with all of mine. I first loved you with everything I had. Amen? Let's do this. We're going to pray. And then we're going to spend some time just enjoying Jesus. And please don't be in a hurry. And please just have some time to like talk to Jesus during this time of worship. We're going to say, Jesus, I want to love you genuinely. Guys, if you do not know Jesus, if you have not believed in Jesus, received Jesus, in this moment, cry out to him and say, Jesus, I believe you. I believe that you gave your love for me, a great love that I, can, I, I still am still learning, still trying to understand. But let this be a time where you can just enjoy Jesus. Amen? We'll pray and then we'll, we'll worship and then close some announcements. Father, we thank you. We thank you again for this time. God, I, I just ask for myself that we would not just go through the motions, not just read for the sake of reading, not just raise our hands or sing for the sake of raising our hands or singing. Jesus, we just want to enjoy you. We want to know you. God, I ask for, for those who still question your love or don't understand your love, I ask, God, that you just grow them in your love. God, that while we are at our absolute worst and darkest moment, God, that you loved us and your love cannot grow and your love cannot diminish, that you have this unconditional, all-satisfying love. So, Jesus, we just ask that you would speak to us, that we can enjoy you, that God, maybe hearts in this room, that our eyes be open to who you are, 
that we just enjoy you, Jesus. Thank you for your love. God, we don't deserve it. Thank you for your great grace. And now we just want to give back to you our, our worship in your wonderful name. Amen.